0: the story. I felt like I'd lost everything,
2: and my whole worldview and this idea of myself and everything was at an all-time low, and everything sort of culminated, and I had good opportunities in life, I just squandered them all, i decided that I'd take my own life, I just couldn't see a way out.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and welcome to The Story. Today we have one about a creative person who always expressed himself through his drawings. So, when his life got dark, so did his artwork. Michael Scarry always looked up to his brother and was devastated after his suicide and began to follow his brother's destructive patterns of behaviour. Fortunately, God's love shone through. Michael is sharing his story with Shelley Scowen.
1: Tell us about your life growing up. Uh, things were not fantastic uh, especially around the age of 10 when your parents divorced
2: Uh, yes Shelley when I was uh, 10 I got sat down uh, by my mum and uh, she explained to me that uh, my brothers and uh, brother and sisters that I'd always known and uh, my my dad also were actually uh, half brother and sisters and uh my biological father was actually someone else, and ever uh, who I'd been calling dad for uh, the duration was uh, not biologically my dad. Um, yeah, uh, that that shook me a, a bit. Looking back now, I think subconsciously it affected me and contributed to a lot of self-esteem and, and confidence and um, and issues like that. Uh, Through my teenage years. Um,
1: It's amazing how those big life events, particularly when we're children, can go on to impact the rest of our lives.
2: Yeah, they can. They can, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You have always been quite gifted when it comes to art, though, but you were using it for not-so-nice images in those days.
2: No, I think uh, a reflection of what was going on inwardly was showcased in... Uh, my creative stream and uh, I always like to draw and that sort of thing but i, I was into drawing more uh, dark uh, subjects like skulls and snakes and and all those things that are attributed to things that are dark and and um, sort of that was that was a bit of a, um, a security fence I think for me like mm. showing the world that I'm like don't come near me and Sort of a self protection, I think, if I try and analyse who I was as a, as a new teenager through, through and on a couple of years after, um, drawing those sorts of things, yeah, I think um, I was in a lot of hurt and, and feeling a bit lost, and, and that carried through in what I drew and, and how I expressed myself.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I've never really understood why people have been so drawn to all these very dark images, but I think you're right. It is a bit of that self-defence kind of mechanism, isn't
2: it? Yeah, yeah. It can be a whole number of things in, in what I've seen and, and found in my own experience and, and with um, lots of people that I know and, and the things that they're drawn to, like imagery-wise and, and theme-wise, Um it's amazing what it boils down to, and and what it can, um, what it can reflect in a person's heart. Some mm. people are really drawn to darkness and death and that sort of thing, and and not really consciously are are aware to sort of ask themselves, what does this what does this mean um, for my life? Why why am I drawn to this sort of stuff? And and um, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. It's worthy of. Uh, Hours and hours of chat time, but, huh. yeah, I was definitely a subscriber to that sort of stuff and, and really was, wasn't headed on a good path as a young person, as, um, as we'll probably talk about.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing. Things just went from bad to worse for you, uh, with the loss of your big brother. Yeah, uh, in
2: 1996, I was, uh, I was 13. Uh, my older brother took his own life. He was, he was, uh, into, Uh, Making marijuana and just sort of a loose lifestyle and um, like you said earlier my parents got divorced um, prior to that and the house sort of split and um, my older brother was always sort of disconnected I didn't have a a very close bond with him I I never really saw him although I I looked up to him so much um, in the little that I did see of him Uh, he was always disconnected and distant and um, There's a sort of a legacy of mental illness in in our family, and uh, I'm sure that was a contributor. But the drugs and everything, uh, which probably were were sort of a band aid to him, uh, exacerbated and accentuated uh, the, the issues that he carried inside, and he um, yeah he took his own life, and uh, and that that also affected me, amongst other things, and and he was sort of like a a role model to me. Uh, We didn't see Dad for a period of time, a number of years after Mum and Dad got divorced, and um, so he was the closest male uh, role figure I had. And um, Yeah, when he died, I sort of took on uh, the baton and uh, just finally got right into all the stuff that, uh, he was into, even though I, I didn't really, wasn't exposed to any of it on part of, um, his example directly, uh, I, looking back now, I, I got on the same set of tracks and uh, got into smoking marijuana and stuff. We moved to the goalpost, um to sort of escape and, and have a, a new start. Although I now know, uh, wherever you go, there you are and sort of, if you don't deal with the problems on the inside, then doesn't matter how far you run. Um, Yeah we moved down to the Gold Coast from Cairns and um, I I just slotted into the wrong crew and um, didn't really fit in I think because of my own attitudes and my own perception of things and and so that pushed me further into a a bunch of people who did accept me and and they were into um, all the things that probably any parent ideally wouldn't want their kids to be around and and that sort of stuff and, and that felt like home to me so I gradually um, rode this uh, course into uh, excessive drug use and, and just um, burning bridges in relationships and that sort of stuff and uh, didn't really have any aspirations or goals, didn't want to have kids or anything I was really inward and selfish and... And um, whilst all this was going on, I thought I was the king of the world. At the same time, I was a really proud person and angry, and that's all reinforced by the environment I was in and the people I was hanging around with. That was sort of the, the nature of things, so mm-hmm. you, you feel justified in your behaviour as well. And
1: it's interesting you described those people as accepting you, and so you decided to hang out with them. Isn't it sad then that, like, because it's a similar kind of story we hear from lots of people that the only people that accepted them were really the wrong kind of people. We need to change that as Christians. We need to be the ones that are accepting people and influencing them for good, rather than all those people are out there that are accepting people and influencing them for bad.
2: I agree. Yeah. Yep. There's a there's a dire need in in the world these days for Christians to. To stand in who they are in Christ and, uh, out of that relationship with Jesus, out of the abundance of that comes um, that desire to reach out and that, that heart for the lost and, and the heart for the people who are broken and, um, it's, it's a mandate but not out of religious obligation or anything like that, just out of a revelation. Um, for me personally, just appreciating what, what God had done for me what he has rescued me out of, I have a desire and a yearning to uh, reach out to other people and um, offer that same grace to mm. the people around me.
1: Michael, it really started reaching a- ahead where you were smoking a lot, you were smoking marijuana as well, and you were in debt. Describe what that time was like for you.
2: Okay, so... Um, it got to a point where I was smoking weed whenever I could get it. I was a 30-pack-a-day uh, cigarette smoker, and um, I'd, I'd smoke potentially uh, a $50 bag of marijuana a day if I could get it, and uh, some days I'd, I'd have to go without, and uh, that they weren't great days, and I'd go around looking to uh, grab some off other people just because of the dependency that I'd... Uh, still tough and it was actually more of a skin spin out, if you will, to be straight. It was a foreign feeling to be straight. I'd been taking for so long and I actually got admitted to mental and drug rehabilitation uh full time and uh over a course of a couple of years and this this was when it uh, started to go really downhill. I actually uh, was in debt thirty thousand dollars thereabouts and um each time I was admitted uh, I was, I was diagnosed with a whole swag of, um, medical, uh, stereotypes and, and boxes and, and, um, just given lots of medication to sort of tone me down and settle me down. I was diagnosed with drug-induced psychosis at one stage and then bipolar and, uh, manic depressive and, um drug-induced schizophrenia and, and, lots of things and, um the, after the third time, I'd, I'd really whittled down my brain and, and the dopamine levels, as it was explained to me, had just diminished and, and they weren't regenerating. I'd, I'd just coded um, my brain in THC or something or other. And uh, I just I, I felt like I'd, I'd lost everything and, and my whole um, worldview and this idea of myself and everything was at an all-time low. Everything sort of culminated and... I had good opportunities in life, uh, I just squandered them all and, uh, time and time again I, I had over, uh, 40 jobs and, um, in various places and and never got, never got sacked, uh, or fired apart from a couple of jobs. Um, I, I always left and, and couldn't, I was never stationary, I, I couldn't Uh, Fixed myself down I had no foundation in life I was just a loose man Anyway um, The fourth time I was admitted uh, Just prior I I decided that I'd Take my own life I I just couldn't see a way out
0: You're listening to The Story Today Shelley Scohan Is chatting with Michael Scarry And as we just heard, at this point in his life, Michael has really sunk into the depths of darkness and despair. However, next we'll hear the amazing way God's love shone through and turned the whole situation around. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. You're listening to The Story. Shelley Scowen is continuing her conversation with Michael Scary. Before the break, Michael was at the depths of his despair and wanted to end it all. Next, we'll hear how God's love shines through an incredibly dark situation.
2: I uh, connected the hose to my car and, and um, so on. Uh, down beside the highway in a dark spot, I uh, went... It- where I thought no one would find me and uh, just a cemetery in the background and set the scene. up, I guess, without really planning to. It was quite a dark place I was in and anyway, uh, I had a moment where I I blacked out in the car and I I think I was not far off passing away and uh, I felt myself drop out of consciousness and I felt this darkness that I I can't explain or, or sort of saw out, but um, I was in a dark place. It was dark all around me, but it wasn't a physical darkness. It was a really dark place, and it freaked me out. I was alarmed and really scared, and, and I came to, and I wanted to get out of the car, and I, I went to reach for the door handle, and I couldn't lift my arm because uh, the, the monoxide in my body had, had caused uh, uh the full weight of my body to be realized that this place is oxygen and, and it's feel really heavy and stuff. It's not a good thing. And, and, uh, anyway, I didn't know what to do when I was reaching out, so I used my other arm to leverage my, my right arm to uh, unlock the door and, and I got the door open and I went to jump out and just fell straight on the bitumen. About 40 minutes prior, I sent out some text messages subliminally saying goodbye and, and uh, one of the girls actually cottoned onto it and called mum and uh, I was living at mum's at the time because I, I had nowhere else to go and um, she, she went to my room and noticed I wasn't there and I was living on chocolate milkshakes and couldn't even draw the curtains in my room I was just a mess and um, so for me to not be there was a big thing and I rolled the car down down the hill uh, without starting so I wouldn't wake anyone up and and anyway, uh, mum's boyfriend at the time, uh, he found me, I, I, to this day I don't know how, but, um, I woke up in the local hospital, uh, in intensive care on oxygen and, mum was told that I'd, I'd possibly not be the same again and no fucking day damage and so on and wow. I couldn't, I couldn't talk, I, I was just, just really damaged and, um, mm.
1: But you were alive, so that's a start. You were alive and you were in hospital, so that's the best place to be uh, at yeah. that point in time.
2: Yeah. Um, looking back now, it was a great place to be in contrast to where I could have been back right I needed a cigarette <laughs> and I wanted to go. I was under guard, so um, I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. But a nurse came out of nowhere and uh, she, uh, she said she'll take me out and... Um, She was allowed to take me out and these two guys came out as well to watch watch us and um, she asked if she could pay pay with me actually and uh, it was a bit foreign to me but I had nothing to lose and uh, so I let her pay for me and I sort of rolled my eyes about it and I was raised in African education um, before mum and dad got divorced and was exposed to the gospel but it didn't appeal to me, it didn't mean anything to me and um, so it was a bit of Bit of a joke, and and I wasn't in a good place mentally. But she prayed for me anyway, and and I sort of uh, I remember almost crying, but I held it in. And um, mm. I got admitted to uh, hospital, mental hospital, for the fourth time. This time in the extreme area where the six foot high fence was, and oh, probably eight or nine the in side. And uh, yeah, I was in there for ten days, and then got discharged. And now. Uh, yeah, that was horrible. Each time it was horrible and statistically, if you've been in three or four times, then you usually uh, uh, become a lifer and you're in and out of those places
1: yeah
2: uh, on the regular and, and that sort of thing with, with a few exceptions to the rule. But uh, I was putting the mould nicely at 10.
1: Mm.
2: Um, after I got let out, I went back to mum's and I ended up uh, wanting to get out of mum's and... Mum and I had a a falling out and I I really pushed Mum away and she was one of few people left that I hadn't pushed away. And um, Anyway, I I sort of worked my way into a a mate's house where he was living with his mum. I ended up moving into the spare room out beside the pool, uh, separate from the main house and separate from the little granny flat that my mate lives in and and I was in there on my own and uh, I'd cook on a barbecue each night and I started smoking weed again and that sort of thing, and just was at absolute rock bottom. And one night, um, this is the beginning of my walk with Jesus. Uh, I was, I was just finished in my in myself. I was at the end of myself, and just um, knew there was nothing left. And I didn't want to live, but I was too scared to die because of what happened in the car. So I felt really cornered. So. I went to the light switch and I turned it off and it was pitch black and I was halfway back to my, my bed in the, in the little room there and fell down on my knees in, the, on the floor in the black. I cried out to God and I was sobbing like when you're a kid and you just can't control your, your crying, you know, and I cried out to God and I, I swear a couple of times I got with the ass and stuff. I was like, God, just help me, help me, I can't do this and I cried out to God and I'd made a conscious decision there and then. Something clicked in me like I'd decided, like I'd signed on the line that I was going to trust God. And mm. in all my years of uh, smoking drugs and, and binging speed and ecstasy and, and that sort of stuff and being reckless with my life, uh, I'd never heard voices once. I've never since, but I heard a, a small still voice now I know in my heart and uh just saying it won't be more than you can handle and, and that represented to me that something started there and it was like affirmation and anyway so i freaked out and ran under my and hit under my doona <laughs> and um safest place in the world to be
1: it is the monsters and the voices will never get you if you're under your doona <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yeah and uh yeah i still had tears on just wet my cheeks and um but I'd made that decision and, yeah. and um, I, I stayed there and, and I fell asleep and um, that's, when, that's when my walk began with God. And, um, wow. Yeah, so things, things from there.
1: And that was about nine years ago?
2: Yeah, around nine years ago, yeah. Wow.
1: I'm,
2: I'm now 32 and I was about uh, 23, yeah. 22, 23, yeah.
1: And so life has changed for you pretty dramatically in that time. Obviously, uh, you yourself have turned around a lot. You've now got a wife and two kids and one on the way. Uh, You're living a very blessed life. You've done a couple of apprenticeships, uh, electrical uh, apprenticeships, and you're doing some great things. You've been youth leading at the church. You've done all these wonderful things. You must be amazed at the change that God has made in your life.
2: I'm forever amazed. And constantly in awe, and um, always, always reflecting on uh, what God's done in my life, and, and that's that's given me a great deal of momentum to just outwork what He's done in me, and, and just pour out in the measure that God's attributed to me. Like I, I'm not a standout feature or anything like that. I'm just a I'm just a normal person who's been given a new hope in Jesus, and um, and I've embraced it fully, and and uh, He taught me to walk again so to speak and, and I walk within now and, and in that relationship um, there's just an abundance and there's, there's fruit that's come directly from that and, and I attribute it all to God and just knowing that and having that revelation that it is it is all of him and it's all because of him that I have this life, life in the full, life that goes beyond measures of accomplishments and stuff which are which are all fantastic and, and I'm, I am a truly blessed man but just to wake up in the morning with a sound mind and have it restored from being demolished. Wow. Uh, he's made beauty from my ashes and from what I burnt down initially. Uh, and um, a little bit out of what I grew up in and a little bit of what I saw and a little bit of resentment and hurt that you collect along the way, he's just restored me. And uh, it continues to this day, like there's refining going on and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah.
1: There that is for, for everyone. Honor,
2: praise God for
1: it, yeah. Yeah. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story today. I'm sure it's an encouragement to people who have friends and family that are struggling with these uh, issues, and or maybe they're struggling with it themselves. I think it gives real hope to hear that other people have come through uh, and have, um, yeah, are now living for God and living a very blessed life. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story today.
2: Thanks for having me, Shelley, and, um, and God bless, and to anyone who's listening, I just encourage you in the Lord, and just also encourage you, like, with with what's been given us in the way of unmerited grace, and I love that this world doesn't know, apart from God, I encourage you to um, step boldly into what God um, has planned for each, each of us, and to go uncompromisingly, and. and just knowing who you are in God and enjoying God first and then out of that comes like the outworking of your gifts and talents and um, what you can accomplish for the kingdom is unlimited in God. And, yeah, it's all for the glory of God. So um, bless you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks,
1: Michael.
0: That was Shelley Scohan chatting with Michael Scary whose life has completely turned around and now he walks faithfully with the Lord. What an encouraging and powerful testament to God's endless grace. Also, as we mentioned earlier, Michael is a gifted artist and has even used his talents to design shirts to share his faith in the Lord. What a wonderful transformation. Well, if you're listening today and you'd like to know more about the hope Michael has found and would like someone to pray with, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's one 800 772 936. We would love to pray for you at one 772 936 Thanks for joining us today for Michael's Inspiring Story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. So I just sort of looked at these kids who were looking at me and there was a stunned silence and I said, I'm sorry guys, I've got nothing. And I sat down. And you know the poor old used pastor Had to sort of get up and bumble <laughs> along And he was all embarrassed and I was all embarrassed And I just thought well that is it I am done I'm never going to stand in front of a crowd again Dave Reardon is a talented writer and speaker And so it's a bit surprising to find out When he first started out in ministry He had some highly embarrassing moments He'll share some of these stories And about the remarkable way God came through for him And his wife next time